we care about our land more than somebody down in Ottawa. A land code puts the First Nation into the power of government. The biggest point for me is your ability to protect your reserves lands. Former chief of our community had the vision to sign uh, and the guts to sign that framework agreement. Business at the pace of business. I think it just proves that First Nations lands management really is working. The good thing about land code, we don't have to sell it. It sells itself. And this is the Land Decolonized podcast, where we explore the practical side of the Framework Agreement on First Nation Land Management. I'm your host, Richard Perry. In this episode, you'll meet Chief Jeremy Norman. His community of Flying Dust First Nation in Saskatchewan has had its own land code for about a decade now. You'll find out why they went the land code route, and in the end, looking back, was it worth it? Here's our conversation. And joining me now from Flying Dust First Nation in Treaty 6 territory is Chief Jeremy Norman. Chief, welcome to the podcast. Welcome. Great to have you here. Uh, we met, I don't know if you remember, but we met briefly in Winnipeg, I think, two years ago. And we were talking about land code for some video interviews. And uh, you were really excited about the process that your community went through. Before we get into the details, can you tell us about Flying Dust First Nation? Where is it? What's the community like? We're a, we're a small community, um, roughly 1,500 total population, um, maybe 700 of it's on, uh, very close to the city of Metal Lake, uh, basically a, a stone's throw away. We border, we border the city kind of all around. Um, a, lot, uh, a lot of uh, our development has been around our lands, um, a lot of it treaty land entitlement in the last five, 10 years has really taken off. Um, a lot of businesses in the, the oil, um, gravel, um, and the recent one actually today was a power purchase agreement on flare gas. Um, we've just been notified actually today. So it's, um, it's, it's a community with, um, I'd say strong leadership, um, a lot of our uh, success is, uh, I would say, it's based on our lands, but also leadership picking up the torch where uh, others have left off and just keep keep on running with it. Um, a lot of our projects are, you know, eight eight years in in the makings. You know, the oil gas was I think was nine years. This flare gas was six. You know, so um, very. Uh, very progressive community. A lot of people in the community are into business. You know, a lot, a lot of businessmen. Um, we got some ranchers, some um, truckers. We got kind of all, all, all types into the business. For those who, yeah, for those who might not be up on the oil industry, maybe describe flare gas and why that's important to you. What um, is it, first of all? Well, what it is is. Um, more so, I guess, in Saskatchewan, a lot of uh, the excess gas that, that ain't put in the, uh, you know, you don't use it in, in the oil, oil field. You know, you're not making uh, your propanes or um, there's always a little bit of excess gas that you can't do nothing with when you're, when you're in the oil field. Um, that gas a lot of times is flared. So if you're driving down the highway at night, you'll see a big flame in the sky. That's flare gas. 
what we're doing with that gas is we're taking it and putting it in a turbine, we're burning it, and we're creating power and selling it back to the province of Saskatchewan. Um, so it's win-win, it's um, economic growth for, for flying dust, um, economic growth for, for the province, um, jobs, but also um, it's, it's green power, it's uh, saving the environment, so win-win. So uh, when did the community approve land code? How long ago? Yeah, about uh, 10, 10 years ago, I would say. Yeah. Yeah. And what what led to the interest in land code? Uh, were there any particular problems with the Indian Act that that were inhibiting your growth as a community? Um, the biggest one that I, I could see, um, and speaking with, with previous previous leaders and chiefs in our community, um, there was a huge opportunity. There was a mill coming up. Um, it, was, uh, it was a particle board mill, and they really liked flying dust location to put this mill on. It, um, it was close to the railroad tracks. It was close to the highway. We had everything that they were looking for. Um, and then when we start talking the agreement, and how fast that could move. Um, with the old Indian Act regime, we were probably a year away from getting a lease to them. And it was just, it just shut the doors for us right there. They stopped talking to us. They went to the RM and they put it on RM land right beside our property. So from that moment, we knew that if we were to be in business and, and to be ready to go with business, we had to be in control of our land. We couldn't be uh, waiting for uh, someone else to tell us that um, we'll sign it off and say it's okay to, to do this, to give us the permit. So I think it was at that point um, where Flying Dust knew that, uh, you know, with our land location being so close to the city, having land within the city limits that we needed to get out of the Indian Act and and have a more um, business-friendly way of doing, doing business. And that's when uh, we were introduced uh, to Land Code. How was this raised with the community? And, uh, you know, how was information shared with community members? We, um, we had a, a lot of band meetings. Um, and we had newsletters at that time. We had a radio station. We did some talks. Um, so it it was, and, and there was a lot of door-to-door. -door. Um, more so, I think, the second. Like our first attempt, we didn't, uh, we didn't pass. Our land code didn't pass. We didn't get enough people out to vote. Um, the second time, we really pushed. We went out door-to-door. We um, did the radio, we did the newsletters, we did the band meetings, and I guess we really sold to the people how it was going to benefit our community in the long run, how um, we felt that we were ready to, to, to take charge of our, our own land. And a lot of our um, argument was on the loss opportunity that we lost out on, on, that, uh, on that mill. There was a, a direct loss, I guess, uh, something that the community could see that, you know, well, if we would have got this built on our land, you know, this is what we would have received in tax taxes 
back to the community. You know, so um, there was a an example of uh, how it really affected our community. I was looking on your website, Chief, and uh, I mean, you've got a holding corporation that kind of manages all of your business interests, but I, I see you're into security. Uh, if this is still current, security, gravel, construction, there's a market garden, uh, fuels, energy. I mean, that that's a lot. You've got your fingers in a lot of different pies there. Yeah, for sure. Um, we're, uh, we're very fortunate that, uh, like I said, a lot of strong leaders. Um, we're a small community, so um, a lot of that, responsibility is put on leadership um, we're not a huge uh, huge company where we have CEO CEOs and act like huge active officers you know it's a, a very small team here at flying dust and very very proud of uh, the, the work that a lot of them done um, a lot of those team members been here for for 20 25 years you know so it's a um, very steady steady uh, workforce here now, do you have land coordinators or technicians who are assigned to dealing with land management issues? We um, we have a, a lands team, and we have a, a lands board. So, kind of everything is channeled through our lands board, and and recommendations back up to the to the leadership, where it's usually just rubber stamped uh, as to their uh, recommendations. Is there anything coming up down the road that you can uh, share with us now about future economic development or some other cultural events taking place in the community? I think, I guess the biggest one would be the the flare gas to power project. Um, it's a 20 megawatt project. We made an announcement uh, about two years ago with, uh, with the province um, that... Uh, that's going to be huge for our community. It's we're probably looking at 60 million for the next uh, 20 years. Um, it's that's the life of the the power project. Um, but that's that's our biggest one right now. Um, there's a few other ones, but they're uh, they're still um, in the makings, kind of thing. Sure. Yeah. And your community has, has probably identified some needs or some other activities that might be funded by this kind of revenue. Is that safe to say? Definitely safe to say. Um, whenever, I, I don't think it uh, it matters how how big of a community you are or how small a community. There's always uh, social issues. There's always um, problems that... Uh, are not funded and a lot of times um, when you have uh, these problems you, you look you're chasing you're always chasing for for ways to um, to solve these problems you know to put things in place that are gonna assist with dealing with these problems um, you talk about homes um, you talk about uh, youth centers uh, recreational facilities, all those things usually don't, you have to fund them yourself, you know, and when you, uh, when you can have a big project like that, it just, uh, it gives you, gives leadership hope that, you know, maybe if we put this in, it's gonna, 
it's going to definitely uh, help with the suicides or the addictions. You know, it's um, you're you're always, I guess, as a leader, you're always looking for for different options and answers for your community. If you are giving advice to communities that are just checking out land code as an option, what should they do in the beginning to make sure they lay the foundation right? There's no comparison. I don't, I don't, uh, like we would never, never go back to, to that way. I guess it's up to each community though. Um, you know, the Indian Act was put in so many years ago to protect communities, to protect people. And I, I think a lot of it was, um, a lot of our, our people weren't educated in, in the ways of, uh, I guess, um, European style. Um, we didn't have lawyers back then. We didn't have uh, teachers. All it's it's a it's a different world now. We every community just about has someone that's graduated from lawyer school or you know accounting. Um, we have so much. Our people are so much stronger, you know. And um, I think most First Nations are ready to to have uh, control of their own lands. You know, not to. Uh, rely on someone else giving them approval for for this or that the vision on your website says you want to become self-sufficient mm -hmm. uh, i think out here this community is maybe 50 50 you know federal funding 50 percent and they've got four or five band-owned entities that are generating the other 50 percent of revenue what's your percentage shift or is that available probably a little more than 50-50 own, own source like we're very blessed uh, and fortunate that we have so much you know there's so much so much businesses um, I, I can't say enough about previous leaders and some of the investments and decisions they made um, just our geographics of being so close to the city of, of Metal Lake and having land that borders the city uh, puts us in that um, different opportunity to to put businesses out that are successful um we're we're not very isolated so we uh we have everything right there um so that like our businesses a uh, lot of lot of what we do um if we don't do a business we'll we'll build something for someone to put a business on and and we're taxation banned so we, we receive benefits there as well. So it's, we're very fortunate. Maybe explain that. That's with the First Nations Tax Commission. Is that where you can uh, yes. tax third-party interest doing business in the community? Yeah, so we entered into into that um, a little bit before for my term, um, but um, I think it was adopted during my term. Um, it's... We don't tax our own people. Um, we don't tax our our own First Nation members with with their businesses. Um, but um, the bigger the bigger businesses we do, um, land uh, people would lease the land. The different farmers. Um, also, um, we have a mill that sits uh, sits on our land that we tax. Uh, so it's it's. Uh, 
it's opened their eyes, I guess, more to um, not even running businesses, but a lot, but setting up the infrastructure so businesses come on our land, because the, the I mean, the taxes are just as um, beneficial as as running a business sometimes. Is there anything I haven't asked you that you'd want to share about uh, land code and and what it's meaning to you guys? I guess one of the other big things that that's been beneficial with the land code. Um, we have uh, a mill that was owned by our tribal council, and the tribal council uh, we wanted we wanted our our employees to be tax uh, tax exempt, um, but unfortunately this this uh, mill was owned in uh, fee simple land, so taxes were paid to the RM. Um, workers all had to pay tax, so. Uh, a lot of our First Nation employees always pressured us as to how come we don't have to pay tax? We we own this mill, so we went out and we uh, we finally uh, agreed to purchase purchase the the mill that that the land sits on. Um, so that that was all good. Um, and then the the banks came in. Um, they wanted a, they wanted a thirty year lease on the land. Oh, if we were in the old regime, we wouldn't have been able to do a, a one, two-year lease. Um, with this new regime of land code, uh, Lands Management Act, we um, we have it in our policy that we we can go up to 25 years. You know, anything over 25 years, we had to take back to the people. So we we went back to the people, and and of course the people said yes. You know, you show them you show them what they're Community's going to make. Um, it was a unanimous vote of yes, and and we've proceeded with the, the land purchase. So it it's been uh, it's been very rewarding for for flying dust this this lands management act. There was one question I forgot to ask. If I could yes. just sneak it in here quickly, uh, I know in some of the communications material, it 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 indicates that at least in some communities, there's a myth that. Uh, land code does away with treaty rights. Have you had to deal with that issue at all? Yeah, we, um, and it was after the fact, actually. It was, um, it was probably about two, three years ago. There was, there was a whole lot of rumbling on social media that uh, if you were in the Land Management Act regime, you, you sold your, your rights, you were a sellout, and and of course, uh, there's always those those people in each community that uh, will will run with that type of thing. Um, but it um, it's it's it quickly went away. The, the, that little uh, momentum went away. Um, we were able to bring them in and and explain to them exactly what it was that uh, we we were in, into and. That we didn't uh, sell anything or give up any kind of treaty rights whatsoever. Or you haven't turned into a municipality. Right. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> well, it's been fascinating to learn the flying dust story, and uh, I want to thank you, Chief Norman, for sharing your time with us today. Thank you. Well, thank you. 
The Land Decolonized podcast is brought to you by the First Nations Land Management Resource Center and is supported by the Land Advisory Board. For up-to-date information on the progress of the land code movement across Canada, including governance tools and training, visit labrc.com. I'm Richard Perry. Thank you for listening.